0: stand for the reading of the Gospel. It's the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, beginning to read in chapter 11 at verse 25. At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. the Gospel of the Lord. Please have a seat. A very warm welcome to all of you who are here this evening. My name is Liz Gray and I am the vicar here and I'm delighted to be worshipping with you this evening. I want you to come with me, though, on a little journey, first of all. I want you to come with me to the Thai-Burma border. I was first there about 15 years ago. I'd been invited to go by a small um, British NGO, which was had been doing some work with uh, helping to train backpack medics. And now they were curious as to what we could do about helping with education in Burma. You need to remember a little bit of world history. At that time, Burma was in the throes still of a civil war, which had been going on for decades. And so many of the small um, ethnic groups, which tended to be grouped around the edges of Myanmar or Burma, uh, were engaged in the civil war. And we had had connections, made friends with some of the people in the Karen state. And they had a government in exile, which was operating out of Thailand. And then there were a whole lot of Karen people and other Burmese people who were landed up in refugee camps because of the war along the Thai-Burma border, a huge network of camps. But there were also a lot of Karen people who were still inside Burma and who are living in their kind of traditional ways in the jungle there, in small family-based, often-based communities. They would live in villages and a number of villages might connect together for various functions. And the, their existence was pretty fragile because they never quite knew when they might be attacked by the Burmese army. But despite the fact that these internally displaced people were living this fragile and very unstable life, they had, as I was to discover, a quite remarkable education system. Within the jungle, there is really no infrastructure. There are no roads, no electricity, no water. So you are thinking literally about people living in bamboo houses, which they've built themselves in community. And as I mentioned a minute ago, a number of these villages might get together for some functions. And one of these would be having a local school. And so there were schools which were then supporting the children in that particular neighborhood. All the teachers for these schools were trained somewhere called the Karen Teacher Training College, KTTC. And they had a two year training program and then they would be posted out to various schools in in, in the area in Karen state. And in the course of the school year, they would be supported by a group of people called uh, the Mobile Teach Trainers, MTTs. And these guys are absolutely amazing. They did so much. Their first task at the beginning of every school year would be to coordinate a massive uh, supplies distribution. They would have all these... Teams of people who would literally carry in on their backs to every single school the exercise books needed, a few small exercise books counted out for each child, the pencils that would be needed, one set of textbooks, precious, precious textbooks for the teachers. Now, bear in mind, these textbooks would probably have been written in English probably have been written in London uh, decades before. So they were working on their own curriculum, actually, and developing their own textbooks. But so much of the material that they had was either out of date or just culturally inappropriate. But anyway, it's what they had. And these MTTs would would carry it in. uh, And they would then also help the teachers during the course of the year with teacher training. They'd help them to deal with any issues. They'd check up on school registrations. And all of this was sort of operated out of the hub of KTTC. It was an extraordinarily efficient system, despite the adversity of the surroundings that they were living in. Anyway, about 15 years ago, I landed up uh, on the Thai side of the Thai-Burma border, meeting people who were supporting the education system inside, as it's called. You talk about going inside. And I had had such fun just going up and down, going to various towns, meeting people. And then one evening I was sitting in a bar uh, having a drink with a few, few of the people I'd met. And they got talking and they started to talk about a new organisation which had arrived and which had very quickly decided that they uh, wanted to improve the education system. And so they had decided to uh, build some brick schools and um, pay their teachers 10000 a year. This, these sound like admirable things to do. Surely education is going to be better in a brick school with a little bit more stability. And surely 10000 a year doesn't sound like very much. That must be um, a fair wage. Well, a couple of things to note. First of all, brick schools are a lot of work when you're having to carry everything in, in on your back. And also they attract attention. If you're going to start carrying in that amount of supplies to build a brick school... The untoward attention that they might attract is, is just undesirable. And the whole 10000 a year thing, well, that doesn't sound like very much money, but bear in mind that every single other teacher in the whole of Karen State was being paid 2000 a year. And then the understanding was that although it was recognised that this was a miserable wage, it was all that the government could afford, and then the village had very definite responsibilities in order to help supply food for the teachers, uh, to help with building maintenance, to do school projects. And truly, this is a situation where uh, the village was raising the child. But now, a couple of teachers were getting 10 and everyone else was getting two. It was causing disruption. And the other teachers were mad and sad and whatever. and, And there was so much angst about the whole thing. And I listened. I listened really, really carefully. Because to be honest, I'd been about to suggest to our organisation that we built some brick schools. I'd been about to suggest that the wage was miserable. I'd been about to make the same mistakes that this organisation was being ridiculed for in this bar. Because I too had only just arrived. I hadn't stopped yet to listen. I was beginning to try. So it got me thinking, well, what could we do? to help education inside Karen State? Well, it gradually emerged over the days and weeks ahead that what we could do is I could go to the teacher training college. I could take other experts with me from time to time. We could go and we could sit and we could listen and then we could begin to share ideas, share things that we had learned over years of being engaged in similar work in different circumstances, but where we'd been exposed to ideas. I mean, how many trainings have you been to in your job? As a maths teacher, I was being trained all the time. I was always going off to hear the latest idea and gather some more materials and find out something else that was going on. So I had a lot of knowledge that could be flexed. But also I had the time to go and sit and to listen and to drink tea and to drink water and to just um, begin to get to know these new friends of mine. And really, as I began to get to know them, That was what they wanted they were astounded that someone would come all the way from england all the way from america they would risk going inside into inside the country which would take the time to sit take the time to befriend take the time to learn what it was that they were uh, experiencing in their environment they needed people to pay attention and to encourage them and it was at about this time that I learned, uh, came across this proverb, which has learnt, meant so much to me in the years since then. And it's Proverbs 25:25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. So shift forward a few years, and now I've moved to DC, we're here, and I'm on track to becoming a priest, well, not almost, and at that point, and uh, learning and thinking about what had I learned in my journey so far that could help the church in America to think about how they could support global uh, mission and outreach. And so I was beginning to think about what, who and where are the thirsty people that we need to reach? What are they thirsty for? And do I have the right thirst quencher for them? And then let alone, do I personally have the capacity to offer anybody a cold drink? So first of all, who are the thirsty people that we are called to? How do we identify them? Last week, uh, we read the beginning of Acts 13. And we read about the church gathering around, praying, fasting, and then discerning that Barnabas and Saul needed to be sent on a journey. And so in verse 4, four we read how they were sent off and they, they went to Seleucia and cyprus and then later on they went to perga and in each of these places they preached and they brought good news from a far country and as we keep going at act 13 we see, hear them going into the uh, synagogue to preach and in verse 43 it says "Ah, oh, many jews and devout converts followed paul and barnabas urging them to continue in the grace of god These people were thirsty. They were so thirsty for the news that Barnabas and Saul were bringing to them. And so then in verse 46 it goes on and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly for so the Lord had commanded them. Goes on to tell how they said that to the Jews I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And the outcome, well in verse 48, the Gentiles are rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. It's extraordinary. All the way through as we've been through Acts, we've seen and heard and read about so many different sermons, starting with Stephen and then Peter and Paul and Barnabas, each of them preaching a slightly different aspect of the good news from a far country And they're each preaching a little slightly different story because they have done their cultural exegesis. They have studied the people they're going to. They have listened. And then they have responded with a message which is appropriate for the place where they are, for the people who are the stage that they're at. The Holy Spirit has spoken to them and helped them to hone their message to one which is totally appropriate to their audience. They have established who the thirsty people are and how the message that they bring them is going to refresh them. Each time, their message is uniquely shaped to the knowledge and gifting and understanding of the people who are listening. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And when you're aiming to take good news from a far country to somebody, you have to know... Uh, what the thirst is. So just as Paul and Barnabas had sat down and worked out what the message was that they needed to give. So we need to do that. We need to take time to build relationships, take time to listen, to establish what the thirst is. You have to come to know and love people. I loved going to KTTC and meeting people year after year and getting to know the teachers and the people who were there so that each time I went back I could bring something which was slightly more relevant, slightly more appropriate because after I'd learned I could go away and I could dig around and I could find stuff. And in the same way we have loved having a, a relationship with our friends in West Asia. Year after year, we go and we've been visiting them now, and they've been in West Asia for such a long time. But they are thirsty people, and they live amongst the very thirsty people. So as a group of us goes year by year, we get to know, make friends. We know people in the village. We know people around and about. We are coming to know and love the thirsty people in West Asia Honestly, the world's a big place. You have to pick a spot and you have to go for it. And I love the fact that there are now little towns, little villages, which feel so familiar. These are not just contacts, they're friends. And so as we as a church seek to establish global relationships. We wanna pray, we wanna fast, and we wanna send people off because we do want to engage. With the 7.7 billion people in this planet, there are some of them who God is calling us to meet, calling us to intentionally reach out to with good news. But we need to do it slowly. We need to do it humbly. We need to pay attention, being slow to make assumptions that we have the answer to anybody's questions. But what we can do is, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. We can go and we can offer what we have. And we can learn to listen. And over the years, I've had the privilege of going to a number of places with um, groups of people. And we always, always, always seek to establish what the articulated thirst is of our hosts. What is it that they are crying out for? And this has led to some great trips and some lovely experiences. We've done things like run a prayer retreat for pastors who are tired and on the edge of being burnt out. We've run marriage training where... Again, for pastors and their wives, and also equipping them for reaching out to their communities, giving them additional pastoral skills. We've helped with training children's workers. And in all these contexts, especially if you're dealing with something like marriage or kids, you know, we have to be so careful that we don't simply try and export our personal cultural experiences. So we want to be sensitive to what is biblical what is God-centered and not what is Western-centered, and you all know this, but we need to pay such careful attention to local culture and context, knowing when it's not appropriate to touch somebody's head or knowing when it's not appropriate to talk in a certain way. And so we go and we take materials, but then, but then we are very careful. We're careful to listen. We're careful to learn. We're careful to make sure that if we are corrected, we stay attentive to what it was that we were doing wrong because we do not want to crush. We don't want to um, reduce the agency or facility of our hosts. We want to enhance. We want to encourage. We want to develop. And so we need to be flexibly adaptive with the skills we have and the knowledge and tools and resources that we take. It's also why we always make sure that at Incarnation, before we take any team, we will have a whole trimester of gathering together weekly to pray, to intercede, to plan, to research, so that we go as thoroughly equipped as we can do and as carefully attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit as we, as we possibly can. We need to be humble with everything we offer Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. We must never pretend, never assume, not be a superior. We need to always work out how they can do it themselves next time if they're possible. How can we teach them through co-leading and through um, mentoring? How can we be flexible as we expose and take our resources to a different context? And always to be attentive to where we're learning because they might not have the same resources we do in terms of books and information, but their resources are rich in terms of experience, in terms of life observation, in terms of their walk with Jesus. They will teach us so much more, perhaps, than we will ever teach them. And so we need to be alert to those opportunities and even to things like realizing that in some parts of the world, three-in-one cafe coffee is like the pinnacle of coffee. And so to not uh, be snooty about that, but to drink it with delight and the sense that we're going to a party when we drink it. (laughs) It's one of those things that I had to get used to. But there are lots of things that we will learn when we take good news from a distance country. And finally, finally, here's the thing. When we reach out to thirsty people They are just that-they are thirsty; they might be worn out; they might be tired; they might be heavy laden." And so we go back to our Gospel reading earlier, when Jesus declared, "Come to Me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest; take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Honestly, when we engage in outreach and evangelism, we have to be so conscious of the fact that uh, not only are the people we're reaching out to weary and heavy laden, but we might be too. And so we must stop. It's a little bit like when you're on an aeroplane and they say, you know, put on your oxygen mask first before you help anybody else. We need to make sure that our oxygen masks are in place. Have you taken your weariness to Jesus recently? In a moment, as is our habit here at Incarnation, we will take two minutes. Two minutes, which can feel like quite a long time. But I invite you in those two minutes to take the first one to do a little bit of internal assessment. Ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light on anywhere within you that is tired or thirsty and then hand it over to him. Maybe when you come up for communion later, you can just, as you step forward, step forward and say, Lord, will you quench my thirst, my longing for, fill in the blank? It's a good thing to do. Will you take my burdens, Lord? Will you carry them for me and stop me wanting to carry them all myself? Take that first minute to assess your personal level of thirst before you begin to quench it in all the wrong places. And then in the second minute, look outward and say, Father, where are the thirsty people in my life? You may already know them. They might be in the cubicle next door to you at work. Might be your cousin or your aunt. It might be somebody, a friend who's reaching out to you or who you know is just so thirsty. Perhaps it's a more casual acquaintance. Perhaps it's someone that we are engaging with already overseas or that you are engaging with overseas. Just spend that second minute asking, Lord, where are the thirsty people in my life? And what is the cold water that they need to drink? And then don't underestimate your resources. You are sons and daughters of the living God and you have access to the resources of heaven so take some time take your time to sit and listen because finally one of the most fun things to do is to drink water with thirsty people and so the opportunities that we get are just extraordinary and so i invite you have fun drink the water with them rest And there's nothing more refreshing than drinking deeply when you're deeply thirsty. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so it's good news from a far-off country. Let us pray and then be silent. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the ways that you quench our thirst. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to come and rest with you and to take your yoke upon us. Thank you, good Father, for the ways that you shepherd us and for the access you give us to situations which we could never on our own find ourselves in. Help us always to be flexible learners, flexible as we encounter a world which is thirsty for you. Thank you that you deal with us gently. Will you help us to deal gently with others? Amen.